Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Miss the show, no problem on point, not on the podcast. Did a liberal MP in Calgary break elections laws when he removed his competitor's campaign flyers from the mailbox of a private home? We're going to talk to the Calgary homeowner who caught it all on his doorbell camera. It could cost him a seat. How did an accused cop killer get bailed? This is a decision almost unheard of in this country, but it is shocking. Question is, how and why is this happening? And vaccine mandates are a thing in Ontario, but it may make for good politics. The question, is it good policy? We'll talk about that. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I was reluctant. Uh, and I was reluctant because I, I just don't believe in government dictating to people uh, how to live their lives, run their businesses, and saying that this is a special circumstance. This is a special circumstance that the whole world has faced and and uh, every every premier in this province. So I want to, you know, move forward with this, but I don't want to do it a day longer than we have to. Vaccine mandates may make good politics. But is it good policy? That is an entirely different question. Hey there, Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, September 22nd. I've decided to change things up. We're over the election. Moving on. There we go. Let's set the new tone. So two things, of course, you uh, needed to leave the house with today. One being that of your umbrella and, of course, proof of vaccination. And if you uh, were one of the thousands trying to download your vaccine record, you were certainly out of luck because I guess someone decided that they would be doing some maintenance on the site overnight, which uh, prevented people from getting on the site. And then the volume of people kept the site crashing. I'll cut some slack on this one. I don't expect government to ever get anything right. <laughs> so let's give them a couple of days. But nonetheless, I mean, you should all have your paper copy anyway, no? Premier Ford coming out today. He's made uh, his first appearance in about, what, eight weeks? And he purposely laid low during the election campaign. And he took some heat from reporters saying, well, where have you been? Well, he's been behind the scenes, and it's a specific strategy. And I actually think it helped him politically because uh, Jason Kenney's fourth wave woes seem to be giving Doug Ford some political cover. Because not only does Ford now look good for being cautious and slow on reopenings. But he took a lot of flack, remember, for hesitating on vaccine mandates. And that's because they are very unpopular with the party's base. But now that Justin Trudeau has polarized and politicized this issue and Ford got this cooling off period, he can now be seen as doing the right thing pretty much at the right time. And so his message today reflected that, you know, he knows the base hates this. He said he didn't want to do it, it's temporary, and we're being cautious. I truly believe in the people of Ontario. They're going to do the right thing. Uh, I, I don't think there will be any incidents, and I hope there won't be. Um, we're, we're just going to move forward on this, and we're, we aren't going to do it for a day longer than, than we have to. Not one day, not two. 
Look, this is not going to sell to the anti-vax crowd or civil liberty groups, but uh, it will sell politically to the majority of people in this province who called for mandates. And it also gets the opposition off his back and uh, they'll find something else to, to stew about. But the challenge is, while most Ontarians will do the part, their part, uh, you know, I think Ford's being a little generous because there is absolutely no rationalizing with anti-vaxxers. Trust me, I get their disgusting toxic laced emails anytime I even mention the word vaccine and, and I, I they're so crude that I, I can't repeat 90% of the words or I'd read them out and you know now that I'm talking about it I expect them to start flowing in any minute which go ahead knock your boots it's called delete but they're determined to go after anybody or any business that goes along with these policies that they see as an attack on their freedom I just uh, got an email yesterday from a listener, who I won't name, who said in part, quote, I hope every business will be boycotted and businesses lose their customers. If they can't stand up to this tyranny, let them go out of business. They deserve this. No, they don't. Businesses don't deserve anything of the such. They've paid enough of a price during this pandemic. I mean, that is just an unhinged view. They're not responsible for making these rules. And sorry, but you don't have a right to destroy someone else's livelihood or do things like block hospitals or harass staff and patients because they choose to follow rules that you don't like. I mean, if you're so upset with businesses, don't give them your money. I mean, that is entirely a fair protest. But I assure you, you win no friends protesting private businesses that have absolutely zero to do with government policy. And the reality is no one's forcing you to get the shot. Even with a mandate, you don't need to get the shot. It just means you're going to have less freedom. Not no freedom, just less of it. So no different than a public safety rule like uh, seat belts or speed limits or drinking ages. I mean, why, why is no one screaming about the loss of those freedoms? Now, if you, you listen to this show, you'll know I'm no fan of mandating anything. I don't believe in the government running my life. I don't need the government taking care of me. But I also have no problem doing my part if it helps the greater good. And I think most people think like that. I also don't really see this any differently than having to provide my child's vaccine records to his school like I just did a couple of weeks ago. I didn't scream and shout about freedoms. I just, you know, here, there you go. But good politics doesn't necessarily make for policy that works. So I do have a lot of doubts whether the policy actually works because a mandate is not going to stop the spread of cases because we still know vaccinated people can get the virus. So, yes, the mandate's a thing, but those who are vaccinated should not assume that they are now bulletproof. We also don't know how this is going to be enforced. I mean, unless the provinces and municipalities hire thousands more bylaw officers, um, we just don't have enough to go after all the rule breakers. So there's going to be lots of loopholes. I also think it's completely unfair to force this on businesses to carry the burden. I mean, they've, they've been through enough. They've had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars protecting uh, patrons, buying equipment. So, uh, you know, what more? What more do we ask of them? I doubt every business is going to have the resources or even the will to do these daily spot checks. And I don't think they should be left to deal with those who are determined to destroy them for the rules the government forces them to follow. Should they take the fine because you've decided not to get vaccinated? 
So those are just a few of my examples. But what I'd love to know is now that vaccine passports are a thing, why are other restrictions not loosening up? I mean, if everyone's vaccinated around us, why do the vaccinated folks need to wear the mask? The protocols seem to contradict the message. Because remember, we were told the only way we get out of this thing is by getting vaccinated. So if the decisions are being based on, you know, based on the science and vaccination saves lives, which I think they do, when do the restrictions start to ease for those who did what they were asked? Because it's going to be a matter of time before people start saying, look, I want to be rewarded for doing my part. Unless, of course, the freedoms of the many are now being taken to protect those of you who refuse to get vaccinated. Do only your freedoms matter? Nonetheless, I guess I'll hear about it. We will talk about this uh, different uh, couple of ways throughout the show. Uh, we've got a very, very busy show uh, today. We'll talk about this uh, decision to grant bail to uh, an accused cop killer. I mean, it is almost, uh, it's almost unheard of. It's only happened one other time in this country, to my knowledge, uh, back in 2007 in Quebec. But when I read this headline, um, you know, the man charged with the first degree murder of a Toronto cop, how he got bail. I mean, there may be reasons and, and fair enough. Okay, then put them out. Put them out or you lose the public's confidence in the system. We'll also talk to whose doorbell camera caught a now elected liberal MP going through his mailbox and allegedly taking conservative election flyers and replacing it with his own material, which would be a violation of Elections Canada laws. It specifically states you cannot do that. So his seat could be in jeopardy and... Um, it's the only seat the Liberals won in that area. So uh, we'll see. Who knows if Elections Canada will follow up. But certainly um, what comes to mind is like if a guy like Dean Del Maestro can go to jail for getting too many, a couple thousand dollars too much in um, campaign donations, will this guy get punished? I mean, we'll talk about that. So we'll talk to the man who got that footage. And um, we'll talk about the former Liberal candidate who also has broken his silence. And he says, I have no plans to go anywhere. I will run as I was elected. And of course, a bunch of liberals are saying, no, you've got to resign. You've got to step upside. You've got to go away. There's petitions and all the rest. Well, no, he doesn't. He was elected. It's up to the party to do their investigation. They didn't. It's also up to voters to do your research. If you didn't research the candidates, that's on you. That is on you. I've been caught stealing once when I was... Nonetheless, did a newly elected Liberal MP get caught stealing? Did he break elections laws? Does elect alleged actions cross into criminal laws? That is a question being asked of Calgary MP George Shahal, who was uh, caught on doorbell video allegedly taking his competitor's flyer from someone's home mailbox and then replacing it with his own all under the cover of night and his campaign manager confirms that he did this using the excuse that he took the info because well it was incorrect uh well that's not really his job in fact um it's not your right to do that it, it goes against the laws first of all you can't really go into someone's property and remove anything in their mailbox last i checked and according to elections canada no one is allowed to touch a candidate's material without their permission. So what will this mean for the Liberals' only elected MP in Calgary? Well, he could lose his seat. Let us talk to the man whose camera caught this image. His name's Glenn Pennick. 
He's a homeowner in the riding of Calgary Skyview. He joins us now. Good to have you, Glenn. Hi, thank you. What was your reaction uh, when you saw, you know, George Shahal on your camera um, doing what he was doing? What was your first thought? Well, when uh, I looking at the camera, I could see him come up. Then I seen him. Uh, I I wasn't really thinking. He's just gonna. I just thought, no, he's gonna drop something up. But then when he, I had um, uh, the person that Jag that I support. I That's had the a, incumbent, um, Jag Sahoda. Yeah. Yes, and I had her uh, uh, sheet of paper stuck on my door with uh, tape that had been put on there earlier, and I seen it, and I just left it there because I support her. And he came up, pulled it off, crumpled it up, and then um, put left his little uh, card underneath um, my doormat. And uh, then it said, you know, you're supposed to don't. And exactly what Jag said. She said, don't forget to vote tomorrow, and this is your voting, which was the correct place that... Um, we had to go to, and his the, his card told me to go to this place that's nine point six kilometers away from where I live, in a completely different area of of Calgary, because I live in in Temple, and I voted at a Catholic uh, school uh, two blocks away from me. So, you know, yeah. And George Shahal is, um, for people who don't know, was a city councillor in Calgary, so he had name recognition. He was endorsed by uh, Nahid Nenshi, um, and he ended up beating the incumbent, Jag Sahoda, uh, who is now, I guess, asking for an investigation. Um, but this is getting a lot of blowback. I mean, thousands of people have now seen the image, and it's pretty clear. I mean, it doesn't leave a lot of uh, questions as to what's going on. So the question then becomes, is this being investigated to your knowledge? Um you know, not just on an elections basis, but I got to be honest, the first thought I thought was, well, like, if this is all on the up and up and there's nothing, he could have knocked at your door, but it's going on at night. So you wonder how many other houses did this happen? Did it happen yeah. at other houses? Well, I've I, um, talked to my neighbors and they, uh, when they got that, uh, and actually I have a the little girl, uh, one of the, one of the events on my camera is a little girl coming up during the afternoon and sticking the Jag poster on my door with tape. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm i assuming it was her mom standing about halfway back on my uh, uh, sidewalk. But I've checked with all my neighbors and they just, when they got that, they just took it off. And uh, when they got something from... Uh, uh, the liberals, they just threw it away. Well, I don't throw any throw anything away. I keep it until after the election because we're we're in the middle of um, you know we're going to have an election in October for uh, the mayor and councilman and that. So you know I've got to read up on everybody and <laughs> see exactly uh, you know who I'm going to vote for. Although I know who I'm going to vote for in my riding because he's coming over tonight and I'm going to join his team. 
Well, you're an informed um, and uh, uh, eager voter, which I always like to, to hear. Um, do you feel, is this a, an act of, of um, a violation in your mind, uh, dirty politics? I mean, how do, you, how do you characterize this? Oh, certainly. I mean, I, I the, um, you know, uh, when the signs and that started going up, I'm driving along 52nd and uh, on 52nd Street or 52nd Avenue, and the there's a big sign of uh, of him there, and somebody had put big X's on his eyes and covered his mouth with white paint and stuff like that. And I, the first thing that came to my mind is that's totally illegal, and whoever did that should be charged. I mean, I don't care. You don't touch other people's. Um, you know, uh, committee signs or, or uh, you know, campaign material. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is pretty clear in uh, Elections Canada that that it is a violation of the Elections Act if any candidate uh, touches uh, anyone's can- campaign material. But, you know, the other side of this is that someone's come up on your personal private property and gone into your, your mailbag, ma- mailbox. So where does this go um, in your mind, Glenn? I mean, is Elections Canada uh, investigating this? Have they been in touch with you? I know that the, um, you know, defeated uh, candidate Jake Sahota has called for an investigation. This is one of these kinds of things that if investigated and found guilty, this uh, liberal MP could lose the seat. I mean, uh, you will recall because you're an engaged, uh, informed voter, what happened to uh, Dean Del Maestro, the conservative who ended up going to jail for violating um, campaign, you know, uh, raising money uh, in his Mm -hmm. campaign. So contributions that he wasn't supposed to get. So there are some pretty big penalties. Do you know that if this is being investigated? Well, I know that, um, well, I've been told that Jag... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, uh, ask for an investigation. I've tried, but I've been so busy. Um, I tried to a couple of times to um, find out where I put it in. And now um, my I have two daughters and they've been investigating for me and they sent me the link. So tomorrow I'm going to put in my challenge. And, um, and uh, you know, because I know where to send it now, and I will send them the video, too. So uh, what has what the I, um, I know that this is they've probably seen it by now. I mean, if they if they're at all engaged in uh, in life. Uh, but what has the local reaction been? I mean, it, it's obviously making headlines right across this country. I mean, you're on my show talking about it with me. But what has the local reaction uh, been to this? Well, I've on my Facebook where I posted I've had over 24,000 hits from because I sent it out to my friends. I sent the video out to my friends. They sent it to their friends. Their friends have sent it. Uh, it this is happening. And so on, and so on, Monday, and so yeah, on. Mon- every day since Monday, my my phone's been going nuts. And, and uh, somebody 
one, I forget who it was, but one of the people, uh, I was talking to them, and I saw, I'm looking at numbers, like one one friend will send it out, and uh, he'll get 134 um, uh, reactions. And so I mentioned that. I says, I've probably got 1,000. No. And he says, uh, he's told me, he says, no, I've been adding them all up for you. And he says, you've got over 24,000. So well, there you go. You're, yeah. Yeah. And, and has the Liberal MP, I mean, his campaign manager has confirmed this happened. And has this uh, Liberal MP spoken out? He's never, no, no, nobody from the Liberal Party has come near me or um, said anything on uh, that I've read, any of the comments or that. There's been some people that you know, commented, well, you just don't like liberals. Well, I don't personally, but that's got nothing to do with him, him doing breaking law and he shouldn't. And, uh, you know, I guess they're a supporter of his, but very few of them, most of them are just couldn't believe what he did. And, uh, you know, he should pay for it one way or another. So... Well, it is an allegation at this point, albeit the campaign manager admits it happened. But, Glenn, um, we'll see where this takes us. And uh, I'll thank you for making time out of the 24,000 people to, uh, to, to, to chat with us here. And um, let's see where this takes us. But I appreciate your time. Well, I'm originally from Toronto. I uh, grew we, up there. We won't hold that there. against you. Yeah, I, I moved out into Calgary in 75. And, um, you know, so. So you've enjoyed the boom and the bust, and hopefully you guys will get back to boom sooner rather than later. But uh, nonetheless, Glenn, very much appreciate your time, and we'll continue to follow this, and uh, we'll follow up with you. Thank you very much. And thanks for uh, for, uh, considering talking to me. I appreciate it. I'm glad it's hitting all across Canada. Yes, it is. That's what happens when you go viral. That's uh, Glenn Bennett, uh, who uh, is an engaged voter. And I like to see that, but no question about it. This is getting a lot of uh, attention and no question about it. If you see the video, and I've tweeted it out at uh, Alex Pearson AMP on my Twitter, it, it leaves little to the imagination. And so I don't see how Elections Canada does not investigate this. If they don't, then I'd be asking a lot of questions. But it doesn't matter who you are. You cannot touch another candidate nothing you can't even as a person you can't go and take someone's sign you can't do that it's illegal when this matter goes to trial the complete story of what took place in that city hall parking lot will emerge it would be a mistake to assume that mr zamir is guilty just because he's been charged with a very serious offense or because a dedicated public servant died on the job during this tragic event. That is the lawyer for the accused cop killer, Umar Zamir, who is asking the public to keep an open mind on news about how his client is now out on bail. And I've covered courts for over two decades. I've never seen this. When I read that uh, the man accused of killing Toronto Constable Jeffrey Northrup is on bail, I, I, mean, I literally almost spit my tea out um, because it's almost unheard of. The last time this happened would be in uh, Quebec back in 2007. So a lot of Canadians, including myself, are outraged by this, and I think they should be. 
Um, you know, this whole case is under a pub ban, which of course is not unusual, but the Judge is also banning the release of the reasons behind the decision to release this accused. Um, but if you want the public to have confidence in the system, then they should have at least the right to know some things about the reasons behind a controversial decision. Let me bring in my friend, Joseph Newberger, who is our Global News Radio legal expert and someone I have not talked to in far too long. Hello, Joe. Hi, Alex. How are you? Well, just like a lot of other people wondering, um, what the hell is going on here? I mean, look, this is a high-profile case. Um, The judge would have known that this is a very high-profile case, and a decision like this would get a lot of attention. And while pub bans are not new uh, on cases, uh, certainly I think there should have been more released in the decision. Okay, I I understand the frustration uh, in not understanding why the judge granted a release to this individual. But I'll say two things initially. One, we must remember that, importantly, there is the presumption of innocence. Because somebody's accused of a first-degree murder and it involves a person who is a police officer, doesn't mean that the person is presumptively guilty. So there is the presumption Mm -hmm. of innocence. Second, we do have a constitutional right to bail. And three, I guarantee you the reason for the publication ban is because there is reference to evidence about the case that has a significant impact on whether this is really a first-degree murder. Right. And, and, and look, if they lowered charges, the right, and I, and I understand if they lowered charges, you know, and, and I know some things that I cannot speak to, um, which gives me a bit more of a, a context, uh, context of what's going on behind right. the scenes. But at the same point, this is such a high-profile case, and the fact that it involves a police officer, um, it's one of those things where... You know, we know that this is unusual and it's not done every day, but when it is done, it's going to get a reaction. I hear you. But we also have people get out on bail on murder charges when it involves regular civilians. So I don't think a police officer's life is any more valuable than your life, my life, uh, you know, a wife, a mother, a husband, a teacher. You know, I, I think we have to have respect and revere for those who have dedicated their lives to protect us, like police officers. But that doesn't mean you don't get bail because you're alleged to have killed a police officer. We have no, but does, but it does give it a higher profile, right? But that doesn't mean somebody gets detained because it's higher profile. We still no, no, I get that, but but then but then in in making her ruling, the judge would have known that this was going to get a lot of questions, right? But but the issue here is to protect the integrity of the trial, which will happen later on, and that we do not want to taint the jury pool. We don't want to taint the trial process. So that there is a fair trial. And that's in the interest of the police officer who passed away, his family and the public. We want to ensure that we will have a fair trial so that the evidence can be litigated and properly dealt with in a fair manner. If you release too much information where there has been issues uh, related to the evidence that's anticipated at trial, it can have a very detrimental effect on the trial process, which is not good for somebody who's seeking a conviction, not good for somebody who's saying that they're innocent. We have to remember the integrity of the process is most important. We do not want to be the United States of America where everything is litigated in the media and nobody has a right to a fair trial down there. This is a Canada has a very judicious system and it's a very experienced, intelligent judge who took her time uh, to render this decision. And we should respect it for now until evidence comes out later on. 
Yeah, it, it's just it's not often, uh, certainly um, in my experience, with first degree. I mean, that that's a different charge. It puts it in a different right. class. And already, Joe, you well know that Canadians are starting to lose faith that the system is more, um, you know, getting more lenient and, and, and taking a more proactive stance on, on some of these cases. Um, and so here we are. And, and even the premier commenting on this, which I didn't think was a very smart idea. I don't like it when po- any politician comments on a big case like this, but then I had to remove the tweet because in the tweet itself, basically convicted. And I don't think the premier himself tweeted out what he said, which was essentially um, convicted the guy. Uh, It certainly adds complications to it. And it was probably written by a a staff who doesn't really understand legalese. Well, you know, unfortunately, we've seen from our premier lots of mistakes that's been made over the last couple of years. And he's given to impromptu comments, and it may be one of his staffers, but they should stay out of the court system and not ruin it. Um, and so I find that type of a comment very detrimental to the process. Politicians don't know the evidence. Doug Ford, uh, you know, is not sufficient, uh, sufficiently intelligent to lead this province, never mind comment on the uh, justice system. So that doesn't do anything for me. The issue here is Canadians should have total confidence in the justice system here. We do not have a country like the United States where there's, you know, 60 murders on a weekend in a town. We have a very safe community. And, and people are not walking away from convictions. People are getting uh, sentences here. It's just ill-informed. And in this case, yes, it's a first-degree murder. You are ex- you're absolutely right, Alex. It's exceptional. And it's exceptional because there's probably deficiencies in the evidence which has been uh, discovered in the disclosure by the defense lawyer. And the defense lawyer did a very good job in marshalling an argument for bail. And the bail in this case is house arrest with an ankle monitor so that he can go do his accounting job, and that's it. This is not some gangbanger who's been out on a yeah. release before on gu- gun charges. It's a different scenario in a different context, in my opinion. I've only got about 40 seconds, but Joe, I know I'm putting you on the, on the spot a little bit, but uh, <laughs> if charges were going to be reduced, how quickly would that happen then um, if the judge has already seen this and, and put, uh, put uh, bail already on the table? So, I mean, if, if we're going to see a, a reduction yeah. in charge, how quickly would that happen? Well, that's an excellent question. So I, I think the prosecutors are the ones that they're the one in power of that. And they're going to have to review the evidence as they move forward to a judicial pretrial and assess whether a first degree murder is really viable and uh, and whether it's a second degree murder or a manslaughter. So I think we'll see that happen prior to a judicial pretrial. If it doesn't happen within the next three to four months, then it's going to proceed as a first. And, and don't right. and don't forget the pressure. Yeah. I, I'll say this. I know I'm running over. But they're under pressure, too, to defend the police. And so I understand that pressure on the Crown prosecutor. No kidding. Certainly got our attention. All right, Joe, appreciate your time. Always wish I had more of it, but we will talk again now that the election is over. Thank you. Anytime you want, Alex. Take care. Be well. And that is Mr. Joe Newberger giving a little bit of context to something that is very unclear for a whole lot of people, uh, including myself. I know that many people are concerned about the certificate and what it means for your civil liberties. I know that this is a divisive issue. That's understandable. I want you to know that I hear you. Our government understands your concerns. There you go. Premier Ford stick handling a policy he knows is popular with the public at large, just not necessarily with his base. And so he repeated a few times, it's temporary. But uh, this whole issue of vaccine mandates has been hijacked politically. The question is, you know, does the policy actually work? Because the businesses are going to bear the brunt of this policy. 
you know, enforcing rules, dealing with the fallout of those protesting. And, um, you know, a lot of people feel that this is an infringement on freedoms. But, you know, when you look at the Ontario Human Rights Commission, they say it's actually justified in any kind of health crisis like a pandemic. So as long as you can accommodate someone who can't get the shot, you can put this kind of mandate in. But the bottom line is this thing has become very, very political. Joanna Barron, Executive Director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation, joining us now. And maybe you can shed light on some of the um, civil liberty issues here with this policy, because I say, you know, while it may make good politics for Premier Ford, I don't even know if the policy as it stands will do much. Yeah, good to be with you, uh, Alex. Yeah, I'm not sure. Certainly, there is a noted phenomenon of uptake in vaccines after these mandates are brought in. Um, but it's a bit of a nightmare. I don't know if you saw this, but and anybody can go on my Twitter profile right now and have a look. A video circulated today of an elderly woman at a McDonald's, I believe in Toronto, and she was not allowed to go in and get her lunch because she couldn't produce her vaccine passport. And I think we're going to see a lot of people that are vulnerable in our society, such as homeless individuals, mm-hmm, elderly mm-hmm. individuals who don't have access to smartphones, who didn't remember to print out their vaccine receipts. Um, and this is going to be a big problem for businesses. It seems almost unconscionable to turn an elderly woman away from getting her lunch because she doesn't have her, you know, her QR code um, on her smartphone. Um, so I think there's going to be real problems with enforcement, um, not to mention the just sort of like overbearing elephant in the room, the effect on life, liberty and security of the person for frankly, for all of us. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, especially in the winter when, um, you know, people might have to go inside to stay warm, grab a coffee from, you know, whatever money they've been able to kind of scrounge up. So there will be that. That to me, you know, can we have some common sense here? But as we've seen so many times during this pandemic, Joanna, common sense does not seem to prevail when it comes to enforcement. Either they go way too heavy or they don't enforce at all. And that therein lies the problem. You know, you've got enforcement that will go after the guy rollerblading with his kid. Uh, but they won't go after the, you know, 10,000 people having a party on the beach. Exactly. It's just hard to imagine any type of scenario where a rule like this that is asking so much, it is so sweeping, will be applied in any type of predictable, consistent manner, Um, which leads us to think it will just not be a clear rule. It will not be enforceable in practice. There will be tons of holes. There's already tons of questions being raised, like, Okay, you can't eat in a mall food court, supposedly, without showing your vaccine. But what if you just go pick up a sub or a sandwich and wander the halls of the mall eating that? Um, it, it just is not a principled policy. Um, and the other thing that I want to draw attention to, you mentioned um, exemptions and, you know, that there are proper exemptions in Ontario, unlike other provinces like D.C., for people who cannot be vaccinated. Um, but how are businesses expected to check those things? First of all, there are two yeah. listed exemptions, uh, anaphylaxis and pericarditis, but we're aware of other individuals with very serious contraindications or bad reactions to the first shot that are beyond those. And so are businesses supposed to be sort of mediating this? Are we are those individuals meant to give doctor's notes to every business? And if so, is there is there information thought to be secure? Um, that's a whole area that, again, has been delegated to coffee shops, restaurants, gyms, et cetera. 
Yeah, to to like suggest an example, you know, let's say you want to go to the mall. Um, you know, do you have to present your your I, you know, your proof of vaccination at the entrance of the mall, like, or or at the food court? I mean, where is it then imposed? Uh, will be a question I think a lot of people. So it's, I think it's going to um, be a bit of chaos for the coming weeks ahead. Uh, but in the larger picture, I think there on the flip side, there'll be people saying, look, well, you know. For those that did get vaccinated, most of people did get vaccinated. I think we're up to 87% of the province did get vaccinated. Uh, why should they have restrictions enforced on them to protect those other those other than those who have medical reasons? Why why can't those who had vaccinations uh, start seeing these restrictions ease? And that's not something that a lot of people are asking about. It's like when do the masks come off? When do you kind of start to get to see your freedoms back that you've lost and and followed the rules? Yeah, there's a general sense that people are willing to make this substantial trade-off, as you say, uploading your proof of vaccination, showing your papers to enter these places. And we haven't seen even the suggestion of a direction in the level of lifting capacity restrictions and mask restrictions from the Ford government, which is very disappointing and also just disappointing that this is where our culture is with regard to our expectations of our liberties. So where do you see this going? Um, is, is there a charter challenge? Is this a, a, you know, I mean, you've got the Human Rights Commission that says one thing, but you'll have the civil liberty groups that say, no, no, this is completely different. So where, wherein then lays the truth of this? Well, so I can say that the Canadian Constitution Foundation is preparing to file litigation in British Columbia, where, as I mentioned, there are no medical exemptions. Dr. Bonnie Henry has yes. said, yeah. you know, uh, you can stay home and watch the game from home. Um, but the challenge... I mean, they go way further. She, she surprised me when she went way for, like, no medical exemptions, like, not even for the medically necessary. That, that to me, is, like, rife with problems. But go ahead. Yeah, so, so that, to us, is just a very clear-cut charter violation. We don't see how any judge is going to say that it is justified, particularly given the presence of exemptions. Um, having said that, we will be challenging the full regime um, as a violation because the government has said we've turned our minds to medical exemptions and we're not going to do them. The judge can't just rewrite the legislation for them, right? Uh, the judge would have to strike it down as being unconstitutional. Um, and we hope that what that will provide some precedent for the rest of the country. As you say, with the high vaccination rates that we have in Ontario, in this country, we don't think that this very substantial imp uh, violation on freedom, on privacy, on rights of movement can be justified. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. This one will be uh, interesting to watch. Joanna, I know you guys are very busy, but I appreciate you making time to join us. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Joanna Barron is with the Canadian Constitution Foundation, so we'll keep a an eye on those particular cases. And I get it. It's rife with, uh, with division and a lot of debate and anger, but uh, stay tuned. This is only day one. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, you can listen to us live Monday through Friday starting at 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.